The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. The president using his weekly newsletter to speak about uh, the success of his mission to the Ukraine and to Russia to go and see if he could broker peace along with other African leaders. A lot of the focus there has been on the traveling circus, the uh, plane carrying almost 120 members of his security team, 11 journalists as well, 90 SAPs and SANDF force members and a whole bunch of cargo as well, which was effectively grounded in Warsaw. They weren't able to carry on. There's been a lot of focus on that. So we're going to start there because Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN senior reporter, has had uh, a weekend I would not wish on anyone. And Lindsay's at the airport now in Joburg, hoping to head home to Cape Town. Uh, Lindsay, um, the last uh, three days, I'm sure, are three days you'd like to forget. You were on that plane. Uh, and, and, and now that you're back in South Africa, how is this being viewed, the fact that it was so shambolic and uh, it just seemed as though this was inefficiency on the side of the South African authorities more than anything else. Well, good afternoon, Mandy. I think it's a mixture of all. You know, it was very difficult to know while we were holed up in that plane what was going on outside. But clearly, we were a spectacle um, and we, at times, I think we were threatening uh, to derail um, the, the focus on what that story was supposed to be about. As we left Warsaw yesterday morning, again, Polish media clamoring along the fences, trying to take photographs of the um, SAA chartered flight that we were on. So I think um, with hindsight now, it was probably a mixture of bureaucratic bungle, inefficiencies on the side of South African uh, authorities planning uh, properly for this kind of mission, uh, and then also perhaps geopolitics at play, uh, South Africa's uh, non-aligned stance not quite being viewed, perhaps as such from a country like Poland, but then also can they be blamed, Mandy, for enforcing them and being strict about weapons uh, entering uh, that country. And then I think the fallout, Mandy, is going to continue uh, in terms of whether such a huge security contingent was then uh, necessary with hindsight seeing as the president made it back here to Varsakov just before us last night, uh, safe and sound, and managed to travel with all uh, those people on board and at a huge expense to um, the ordinary taxpayer. Lindsay, on your way back uh, from Warsaw, I saw there was some coverage of what appeared to be an incident in Italian airspace with uh, a couple of jets accompanying you. Uh, What happened there? Well, that seemed to be a bit murky. Um, Mandy, that was on our way there um, that we were circling off the coast of um, Italy over the Mediterranean uh, for close on an hour. We were tracking that from... Uh, you know, the flight information that you get uh, in your seat on the plane. And it did look a bit strange at the time as to why we were circling and circling uh, for quite some time. And then we learned later that we hadn't had the clearance to right. cross over uh, Italian airspace. Um, okay. Yesterday, interestingly enough, when we flew back, the flight information system on the plane was disabled. <laughs> so I think was. we couldn't keep track uh, of, you know, if anything dodgy was happening on that flight path. But I think most of everybody just wanted to get some sleep and get home. And so we weren't too focused 
um, on, you know, where we might be denied uh, access. Although when we left Bartercliff, uh last Wednesday evening, we were assured that all the clearances, we were told 14 clearances were required for that plane uh, to reach Poland. And we were assured at the time that they'd all be um, uh, received. Clearly that was not the case, Andy. Lindsay, thank you so much. I'm sure you want to get home. So thank you for making time to chat to us. Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN senior reporter, who was on that uh, traveling circus, as it's been described, to uh, Warsaw, to Poland. Uh, I think that very much has taken the focus of what was the real mission here, which was the, the African peace mission to Ukraine and to Russia. And the president has said that the initiative has been historic and that it is the first time that African leaders have embarked on a peace mission beyond the continent's shores. Uh, He speaks about the relevance. He speaks about why it's important and uh, also that he believes that they can contribute to international efforts to bring about the conditions for lasting peace. What are your thoughts reflecting on the weekend and seeing those images of Ramaphosa with Vladimir Putin, also seeing him with uh, Zelensky as well? Send me a WhatsApp voice note. Let me know what you think. The Midday Report. The Democratic Alliance says it wants answers on what it terms an utterly shambolic peace mission, which the president and other African heads of state uh, undertook over the weekend. Uh, The DA is writing to parliament. It wants answers. It wants an explanation on the amount of money that was spent. John Steenhuisen, the leader of the Democratic Alliance, joining us now. John, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. What exactly is it that you want clarity on? Uh, good afternoon, Mandy, to you and the listeners. We want clarity on the money that was spent, particularly on the second aircraft that carried over 120 security personnel as well as 12 crates of arms and ammunition uh, to Poland, where it was very, very clear that the correct planning and logistics and clearance had not been obtained, which is why it was not able to proceed and be unloaded in Poland. Uh, and obviously, this has now resulted in fruitless and wasteful expenditure uh, it's money we can't afford to be losing as we sit with a variety of crises of our own here in South Africa. And I think there does need to be some accounting. This is public money that's been wasted uh, on a plane that could not uh, be used. And why on earth we needed 120 security personnel to accompany the president uh, to Poland? And why we needed to take so many arms and ammunition uh, into, the, into the country is, needs, needs to be answered. Uh, aside from the shambolic uh, Polish incident with uh, with these 120 security officials and journalists, if you look at the actual uh, mission to Ukraine and Russia by the president, does the DA take issue with the attempt to try and broker peace between these two countries? Well, of course, you would not uh, want to take issue with any efforts to broker peace, but these must be sincere. And I think the president's problem here is that he's not regarded as an honest broker. Uh, in the matter, it has been very, very clear that as long as the Lady R saga hangs over his head and the head of South Africa, um, and as well as his government's continued uh, siding with Russia in uh, in a variety of forums and aligning itself with Russia, it makes it very, very difficult for him to portray himself as an honest broker. Diplomacy requires honest brokers because you should not be seen to be taking a particular side in trying to bring both sides to the table. But it's very, very clear that that uh, perception uh, is certainly out there internationally, that South Africa has sided with Russia. And I think that's going to make the president's credibility in a peacekeeping role very, very difficult.
So, John, I imagine uh, some of your critics would point to the fact that you also went on a mission to to Ukraine to go and see what was going on there. And that could have been uh, money maybe that would have been better spent locally. What would your argument to that be? Well, the first thing I'd say, I certainly didn't go over to broker peace. I went to go and establish what the situation was like on the ground where a conflict was taking place. And secondly, not a cent of public money was used at all. It was privately funded trip. And uh, I certainly didn't take 120 people with me either. I took uh, two other individuals with me. So I don't think the two are comparable in any shape, way or form. Okay, so the DA has written to Parliament. You want uh, the full cost of uh, what you're calling this utterly shambolic political stunt. Do you uh, have expectations that we'll get any kind of clarity on this? Well, of course they will have to because there will be parliamentary questions. And again, this is public money that has been spent here. It's not the president's money. It's not uh, Wally Roeder's money. It's public money that's been spent here. And they are going to have to account for it. They're also going to have to account to how the jet was procured because information coming into our offices now is that the jet that was, uh, for which the tender was given, the aeroplane, uh, was actually, belongs to a very senior donor to the ANC. So all of those procurement processes are going to have to be looked into. Uh, including the procurement of the arms and ammunition that were included on the on the trip. These are all very important questions for us to get to the bottom of. And we really can't afford to be wasting money while we're sitting with an energy crisis, a water crisis, a uh, cholera outbreak, and we're spending money on essentially wasted items um, trying to broker peace in an area where perhaps we have very little authority or heft. John, thank you very much. John Steenhuisen, leader of the Democratic Alliance, wants answers, wants clarity on the money, the taxpayer money that was spent. The Midday Report. Well, let's get some analysis on this now with uh, Professor Sipamanla Zonli from the Institute for Pan-African Thought and Conversation Director. Was this trip a success? The president says as much in his weekly newsletter today. Prof, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, if you don't look at the shambolic trip to Warsaw and uh, clearly an administrative debacle that happened there, if you look at the actual uh, peace mission to Ukraine and Russia, what are your thoughts on the effectiveness of this African peace mission? Um, good, good, good afternoon. Um, it is it is possible that one end to separate the two and say the um, the, the mission, the peace mission, required the president to be in Ukraine and meet uh, together with other five African presidents or representatives of some of them um, with President Zelensky, and then thereafter the next day move on to Moscow to meet. Uh, with uh, President Putin, and that that was the purpose of the mission that was achieved. Uh, but it also are not possible to ignore the the whole drama around the second plane that had journalists and that had the public, uh, whatever public officials and and security uh, personnel to provide extra security as the president went into a war zone. Um, and it seems that, that the administrative uh, bangles that happened, we, uh, we still have to establish fully um, the details of that. And I hope that the DA parliamentary question or other opposition parliamentary question on this particular issue will shed more light on what is the South African version of the story. Because I have the version uh, of the of the Polish uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs that said that there were dangerous weapons and that there were not 
permits, uh, there were permits that were were missing. Uh, uh, that led to the uh, that debacle uh, mm. in, in Poland. Yeah. And, that, and that really is the only version we actually have, is the one from the Polish government, because they issued a statement about it. Uh, what's at stake for President Ramaphosa here? Why would he want to broker this peace agreement? Is it about uh, ensuring food supply from Ukraine? Is it about uh, his legacy, about global status on the world stage? Why would he want to do this? Um, there has been criticism for those of us who are trying to understand what they've been doing. Um, not just for the but for the entire Africa, because it's an African uh, initiative. That the, the non-alignment in this particular um, uh, conflict uh, uh, has to be followed up with concrete actions in support of their alignment with a peaceful solution. Because non-alignment does not mean neutrality. It simply means that you are you align with a peaceful solution as opposed to a military solution uh, to the conflict. And that uh, since that non-alignment is there, it, it, must be, it must be seen to be pursuing this peace option. And, and therefore the African president have then started this initiative because the overwhelming position of the African countries, uh, pretty overwhelming, almost, um, all of the African countries, except the two countries that voted for uh, for Russia, all of them are for a peaceful uh, resolution of this. So they all also don't follow the Western uh, position, which is for a military solution uh, to the situation. Prof, thank you very much. Uh, Prof Sipamandla Zondi from the Institute for Pan-African Thought and Conversation Director giving us some analysis there. So your thoughts uh, now that we have uh, reached the end of this peace mission and uh, a shambolic weekend, was it all a farce? Was it necessary? Is the president doing the right thing by trying to broker peace? We heard the former president, Thabo Mbeki, and the former deputy pre- president as well, Pumzile Mlambo Nuka, saying that she believes it is the right approach uh, to try and broker peace. But what happened in Warsaw that whole situation was a real debacle. The presidential protection services were warned about what they needed to do to get weapons into Poland. Did we need 120 people to accompany the president into this area? Was that necessary? What are your thoughts on all of this? Plenty of WhatsApp voice notes coming in. Afternoon, Mendy. This is Musa in Pretoria. I just wanted to say I fully support um, the peace uh, initiative by African countries uh, whether it was the right delegates um, that one I'm not sure sending Sela Ramaphosa there because he supports Russia I mean the only thing that is left is for him to spell it out um, I, I am embarrassed though about the ammunition that was found in the cargo uh, were we going to war can somebody answer that on our behalf, please? This is Musa from Pretoria. Thank you, Mandy. Good show. Bye. Hi, Mandy. So your house is on fire. You run out instead to go and douse the flames in the next street. Quite a joke. Okay. Can they please start with Sudan? Instead of wasting their time uh, with Ukraine. I mean, uh, <laughs> the midday report.
Let's go to court. The former state security minister and ANC MP, Bongani Bongo, is in court today. He's fraud and corruption trial in the Nelspreet Specialised Commercial Crimes Court due to begin today. He stands accused alongside 17 others of almost 70 counts. These include fraud, corruption, contravening the Public Finance Management Act as well. All of this to do with a 74 million rand land deal, which, which dates back to 2011. Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter, following this case for us. Bernadette, good afternoon to you. What's happened in court so far? Well, Mandy, the trial has gotten underway um, and the state is currently reading the charges out to the accused. Before they started, though, um, Bongani, Bongo's brother, Sipo Bongo, was originally charged alongside him. The state has now withdrawn charges against him and that's because of the unavailability of one of the key witnesses. And as a result of, of that unavailability of that witness, some of the other charges against some of the other accused have also been withdrawn. And those include two charges against Bongani Bongo, one charge of corruption and one charge of money laundering. So he's only left with one charge of corruption um, going forward. But we are expecting the accused to tender their pleas very, very shortly. The state is, is wrapping up and um, putting the charges to them as we speak. And what sense do you then get from the strength of the state's case against Bongani Bongo? Um, well, it, it's difficult to go into that um, at the moment. They obviously haven't led any evidence. And like I mentioned, they did have to withdraw two charges, which they obviously felt that they wouldn't be able to prove without this witness. So that, of course, calls into question the strength of, of the case. But those are only a number of the charges, and there are a number of charges still remaining. As you mentioned, there were there were um, almost 70 at one stage. That, that number has actually increased since the last time the matter was in court. Um, and, and we're looking at close to 80 at this point. Um, so we'll see how, how the trial unfolds. We aren't expecting the first witness to take the stand today. That'll only be tomorrow. But when they do, we should be able to get a better idea of, of what kind of a case the state has. And Bernadette, uh, in light of the Nulani case, for example, that fell apart, uh, what's at stake for the NPA mm-hmm. here? Because we have a situation here again where a former cabinet minister is standing trial uh, on charges of corruption and it's very rare that the NPA actually manages to convict in these cases. Um, absolutely, and and the former minister, the former minister that we're talking about, has already been acquitted in the other case that he was facing in the Western Cape High Court, um, and and that was a corruption case involving allegations that he had offered a bribe to the evidence leader um, at the ESCOM inquiry. That case he ended up being acquitted on um, because the court essentially found that the state wasn't able to prove its case. So of course, against that backdrop, against the backdrop of the Nulani case, um, there's. There's so much at stake for the NPA here. There is this sort of growing feeling that um, they are acting just to be seen to be acting without having all their ducks in a row before they go to court. So this will be an incredibly important test case um, for, for how they handle these state capture cases. Bernadette, thank you very much. Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter, watching that case for us. The former state security minister, ANC MP Bongani Bongo's fraud and corruption trial starting. Will the NPA secure a conviction there? So much at stake for the National Prosecuting Authority in these high-profile crimes. The Midday Report. Let's have a look at the flooding situation in the Western Cape as another cold front hits the province today. Uh, Already the province has been hard hit by widespread flooding. There's been damage to infrastructure 
infrastructure, uh, many people displaced, lives have been lost, uh, bridges are inaccessible, some roads have been closed as well. This morning I saw a photograph of a, a vehicle with a, a massive tree that had fallen on it in Newlands. Uh, and uh, also Gift of the Givers is out today in Rawsonville, where 1,260 residents have been affected as well. Let's speak to Kevin Brunt, EWN reporter. Kevin, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Give us a, a sense of, of where you've been and what you've seen. Good afternoon, Mandy. Gift of the Givers volunteers are currently unloading a truck or two that has just arrived here in the area carrying food parcels, mattresses, as well as toiletries for the 340 Rosenville residents who are now being housed here at the local church's hall. And they've been affected by the flooding conditions of last week already, but because the roads were inaccessible and no traffic was allowed to flow through to this area, that is why the relief aid can only be brought to this community here. So this morning we made our way together with the trucking officials and being escorted by law enforcement officials to ensure that the goods arrived here in safe condition. It was still very much raining, heavily raining earlier this morning. However, um, it, the rain has now slightly subsided. The fear from the officials on the ground here and the residents is that it will continue raining and that the situation won't be able to be resolved. But just listen to what the Deputy Mayor told me earlier on with regard to their intervention and collaboration with Gift of the Givers, Mandy. Severe weather hit the Bediouin municipality uh, last week in, on Wednesday, where we had extreme flooding of uh, Roosevelt in uh, the rural areas, like in the Dwarings, uh, Hex River, in the Wet, where people were evacuated because of the flooding. And uh, Wednesday night, I reached out to Gift of the Givers, where I spoke to Ali uh, of Gift of the Givers, and uh, he immediately put plans in action to come uh, and assist our people. And Kevin, uh, the rain that is continuing to fall across the province, that cold front uh, that's hitting today, what is your sense of how that is uh, affecting operations? At the moment, the operations is continuing smoothly, Mandy. As I say, the rain has subsided, so the volunteers have now been able to take most of the food items inside, and I believe that that is the point where the distribution to uh, the different community members will be taking place. There is uh, more than 1,200 people present here in this community alone. I got a sense from the gift of the givers that they also um, have volunteers deployed in areas such as Philippi. We also know in the community of Citrizal that has been cut off. There's also some relief aid being directed there. And that appears to be um, what will be taking place for most parts of the week. They do, however, hope that the weather will play along and allow the officials and the disaster teams here on the ground to um, be able to then relocate people to safer spaces because a lot of people are also, in the meantime, still making their way to their respective homes to see what they can salvage from their belongings. But they explain and paint a picture of standing hopelessly around and see how your belongings have mm. been washed away, Monday. Sure. Kevin, thank you very much. Uh, Kevin Brunt, EWN reporter. He's out with uh, Gift of the Givers in Rawsonville. I did see a video being shared on social media of somebody wakeboarding uh, in the flooded uh, areas of, of Rawsonville. I don't know if it was uh, legitimate or not, but as uh, you get a sense there of the amount of people that have been displaced. Well, let's speak now to Colin Diner, who's the Western Cape Government Chief Director for Disaster Management in the Western Cape. Colin, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Uh, how has this uh, second call 
cold front hitting the province, affecting disaster management and, and what you've had to do to help people? Uh, good afternoon, Mandy. Yeah, so uh, obviously the worst were the, were, were the um, first two cold fronts, which it, um, we had a, another cold front come through yesterday. It was fairly minor. We did plan for it, but it didn't create too much problems for us. And then uh, the, the last cold front, which came through earlier this morning, um, although it brought quite a lot of wind with it, the rain was not as much. So we've actually been able to go on quite, uh, quite well today uh, in terms of uh, providing humanitarian relief, which is the first priority mm. as we speak, and then to, to do all the mopping up and our infrastructure people have been able to get heavy machinery in, specifically on the West Coast, to start doing, uh, you know, clearing of roads, etc. So, yeah, it's, it's going pretty well at the moment. So, Colin, which areas at the moment remain a concern to you and, and where are you having to, to fix infrastructure and things like that? So the infrastructure uh, issues specifically with roads uh, is mostly and, 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 and rivers is mostly up in the West Coast in the Cedarburg area. Uh, so we have... Uh, um, Wuppertal, uh, Cedarburg, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Citrus Dole, which was not reachable. And unfortunately, um, our teams together with Gift of the Givers and Sazo were able to reach uh, a bridge on Saturday and we were able to get in a significant amount of resources. And then yesterday, when we had a window, we were able to fly in about eight tons of food into the Wuppertal area. So that's still the, that, you know, we're needing to get those roads sorted out because although we could supply the people, and people now have uh, have food and resources. We still need to get the road sorted out. So that's it's that area. And then just in terms of the weather warning, our, we are really keeping a close eye on the Cape Winelands district and the Overberg district, although there hasn't been uh, any any incidents reported, any major incidents up to now. And any other areas uh, where people have been displaced, where they may need alternative accommodation or anything like that? Yeah, so there are a couple of areas. Um, Kevin has just spoken about Gorsonville. There's a couple of areas where people have been displaced. Um, fortunately, I think we are reaching most of them, and I think with the water going down, uh, it's looking better. Um, it's really been mostly up in the West Coast region. Well, Colin, thank you very much to you and your teams for the work that you're doing. Colin Diner, Western Cape Government uh, Chief Director for Disaster Management, giving us an assessment there of the situation today uh, following that poor weather over the weekend, the impact there of those cold fronts, repeated cold fronts hitting, and uh, that humanitarian relief uh, underway, assisted by the gift of the givers too. The Midday Report. The Justice Minister, Ronald Lamola, is today meeting with the French Minister of Foreign Affairs. They're signing a cooperation agreement to widen the reach of the SIU's work when investigating people for commercial crimes committed in South Africa uh, who have fled to Europe. So this cooperation agreement is primarily around cyber forensic capabilities. So that would help with cyber forensics, financial crimes, analytic skills as well, and the establishment of an anti-corruption academy in Pretoria. Khamoto Modise, EWN reporter, is in Pretoria at this meeting. Khamoto, good afternoon to you you. Uh, tell us about uh, this meeting between Ronald Lamola and the French Minister of Foreign Affairs and the benefits of this cooperation agreement. Well, Mandy, this is an agreement actually that dates back to 2016, as far as I understand, where uh, the French had been uh, helping South Africa and other SADC countries to set up this 
um, institution that beefs up its forensic capabilities and our forensic capabilities in South Africa. And joining me is actually the head of the SIU, that is Advocate Mutibi, um, who's been giving remarks. Maybe number one, I mean, what, is the, what, what, what benefits are we going to be getting from this agreement? I know that we're going to be beefing up our own investigations yes. here, yes. Um, but what are we going to be getting from the French uh, from this agreement? Right. Thank you for the opportunity. As you correctly said, this is the culmination of the interaction between South Africa and France, in particular, SIU and the French Embassy. The interaction starting from 2016-17, where we've exchanged training initiatives. The benefits from this agreement is really to say we are strengthening our collaboration in the uh, offering of uh, data uh, forensics uh, and forensic uh, cyber forensic training. And that benefit will not only uh, be given to SIU, will be to other law enforcement agencies in South Africa, in SADC, and also in uh, Commonwealth Africa and the rest of Africa through the Africa Anti-Corruption Association. Already they have reached out to us uh, to say they need to enroll. So we look forward to strengthening the capacity of African anti-corruption authorities so that the corrupt should know that we are equipping our investigators to be a step ahead in terms of all this imaging uh, expertise so that we can really get to the bottom of, uh, of, of the investigation. And my understanding is that this is particularly on cyber, because while you've had the capacity to investigate forensics, yeah. not so much in cyber. Indeed, correct. Um, uh, we are strengthening ourselves. We do have you know, some capacity, because we've managed to crack most of the sophisticated uh, uh, schemes. But we, we are now really getting into this agreement to enhance uh, the capacity around cyber. You're right, because as you correctly know, uh, that uh, uh, corruption and, av- and other offenses are really uh, these days committed in the cyber space, by cyberspace. So we want our investigators to be equipped so that they are able to crack those uh, cyber space crimes. Finally, for me, what's, what's in it for the French? Why would they just come and set this up uh, in South Africa? Well, up to now, it's really been uh, French contributing really to, to Africa growth, so to speak, in the main to ensure that they cooperate uh, with, uh, with Africa and South Africa in this case, uh, to ensure that they impart their skills. And we have seen them imparting up to now. They've trained several investigators. They've trained uh, several of our cyber forensic investigators. We have not had to, uh, to pay a, a cent up to now. Uh, but going forward, of course, if we need some other specialized equipment, it will probably indicate at what cost, at what cost will it be. Thank you. That's uh, Advocate Andy Motivi, and he's the head of the SIU um, that's uh, here today, part of this agreement to beef up our cybersecurity and cyber forensic investigations in South Africa. Komoto, thank you so much. Uh, Komoto Modise, EWN reporter, speaking there to the head of the SIU, Advocate Andy Motivi. And I have to say, the SIU is really getting things done. When you see progress being made, they really seem to be uh, at, uh, at at the vanguard here, getting uh, getting um, arrests made and doing investigations. So hopefully this will help this cooperation with the French. The Midday Report.
Well, let's get an update now on that driving license card machine that uh, had been broken. It was out of production for three weeks, so that uh, it actually wasn't broken. It was routine maintenance. Let me let me clarify that. Uh, but a broken part of the machine had to be replaced. So it's back in full production. Let's speak to the Department of Transport spokesperson, Colin Msibi. Colin, am I correct in correcting myself there that there, it was routine maintenance that was going on here? Yeah, thanks, thanks, Mandy. Thanks for the opportunity. Yes, you are quite correct. It was through routine maintenance that we had to pick up that there was a part that we needed to replace. So basically, the the period where we've had to then wait and and take the machine out of production, it was to re- replace that specific part. What has the impact been of the machine being out of action? I did read that there is a backlog of three hundred and fifty thousand cards from the past five weeks. Is this accurate? Yes, it's, it's 350,000, um, the backlog that we have currently. But we've also indicated that it's going to take us up to the end of August to be able to deal with uh, the, the backlog. Why end of August? You must remember that uh, it doesn't mean that we have a backlog, therefore we're not getting any more applications for the new licenses. So while we do the new applications which are going to be coming in now, we, we, we still have to also deal with the backlog. Hence, we've, 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 we've put a target of uh, end of August. Colin, do we not need a second machine? Not a machine of, of this kind. I mean, this is an old technology. We basically need to replace this kind of system. And hence, uh, last year we've had to go to Cabinet and say, Cabinet, can we have a new driving license card for the country? And the, the cabinet did approve that. Uh, it has, uh, the, 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 the forecast in terms of the time frames we have until the April 2024 to be able to come up with the, a, a driver's license card, the new one. But you must remember the new card, it must also come with the new machine to be able to print because we can no longer use this machine. I mean, it's, it's, it's 25 years old. It's quite an old technology. We therefore need... Uh, modernize the system to be able to to to, to service this kind of environment mm. that we have. So, so Colin, where are we with uh, finding a new system and a new machine and introducing all of that? What kind of time frame are you looking at? Well, we we started with a tender process to get service providers on board uh, last uh, year uh, in November, but it was a non-award situation. I can't get into the details in terms of the tender. The tender was advertised again. It closed in May. So we are in that process. It's, it's, highly, uh, it's a highly regulated environment. I cannot speak or disclose more information to that. But we are, we are quite on course. We have brought forward the date of the April 2024. We, we, we're trying to see if we can do this within this financial year to, to launch a new driver's license card. So we are, we are quite confident that we'll be able to achieve that. Colin Msibi, Department of Transport spokesperson, thank you for that update. So as things stand, that driving license card machine is fixed. Uh, it's back in operation, but there is indeed a backlog. The Midday Report. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website, 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener.